Hey Table Lifers, it's Pastor Chris. I am so glad I can be with you today. And some of you guys know that I was sick this week and unfortunately got COVID. Fortunately, I am doing well, praise the Lord. And thank you for your thoughts, for your prayers, for checking in on me. And I hope to be with you very, very soon. But I'm also grateful that I can still share God's word with you today. So I do have a confession to make about something that happened over the holidays. And that confession is that I killed something. Um, but let me just pause here before you call the police. I want to clarify that it was a plant. I don't have a good track record with plants. I don't know if you can relate. Are you a green thumb? All the green thumbs say hey. Or are you a black thumb? All the black thumbs confess I'm over here with you. Well, basically it was a succulent plant that a friend gave me ironically because she thought Chris can't kill this. Well, I did. And the thing is, I didn't overwater it. I didn't move it from its happy position. I didn't poison it. The plant didn't die because I had done anything to kill it. It died because I didn't do anything to sustain it. Well, we started a brand new series last week that we've called Start Dreaming Again. And in a way, a dream is like a plant. We talked about last week about how a dream is that gap between where we are and where we want to be. It's a vision of a preferred future. It's very healthy for us to have a dream that you might have is to start something. Maybe you have a dream for your family, a dream for recovery, a dream to, to achieve a degree or be involved with a social change. But like a plant, it's very easy to kill it. Dare I say, it's guaranteed if you have a dream, there will be people, even those close to you, who will try to kill it, intentionally and unintentionally. Sometimes it's even the dreamer that kills the dream by labeling that as too difficult or impossible, and so they stop dreaming. Well, today we're going to look at those dream killers. We're going to become aware of them, how we anticipate them, but look at what God does with them. And we're going to do that by looking at the beginning of a story in the Old Testament, a story of Joseph. And it's a story that's made famous by Broadway in the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I don't know if you saw it. It's a great thing to watch. Go and check it out. But it's a story that's one of the most complete and longest stories in our scriptures. And it's unique because God is hidden in the story. God is hidden in the story. There's, there's no direct encounters or conversations. But the central theme that we have here, a central theme of this story is to show the purposes of God are at work in hidden and unnoticed ways. But God's dreams will always come to fruition. Nothing can get in the way of God's dream. And the story starts in Genesis chapter 37, goes through chapter 50, the end of the book. And we're going to go through this story over the next eight weeks until Lent starts in March. And, and the first time that we jump into the story to meet Joseph, um, it kind of sets up our context of the situation and the family here. And you can follow along here in the sermon notes. 
and the message. So Genesis 37 verses 1 through 4 tells us, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had borne to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. <clears throat> when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So we learn a lot in this intro. First, we learn about this family, that this is a famous family, that, that his great-grandfather is Abraham, and through which God, God told Abraham he would become the father of nations to redeem the world. A pretty big news here. And Abraham, of course, had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who was renamed Israel. The story, fascinating stories. You can read the beginning of Genesis for that. And then Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. And we may be reading <clears throat> about individuals here. But they're playing a symbolic role in the life of Israel because these 12 became the 12 tribes of Israel later. And we also learn that Joseph is one of the youngest. Are you one of the youngest? Think about that. Are you? The siblings, of course, in your house think that you get away with more than they do. You did and you still do, right? It's true, but scripture comes right out and says that, that Joseph is his father's favorite. And so parents, moment of honesty here, don't have to say anything too loud, but you have a favorite kid, right? Don't you? I think you do. Perhaps it rotates weekly. Perhaps it rotates daily. But Jacob is, is basically, he, he thinks of Joseph as his number one kid. And Jacob awards Joseph a royal robe for that, the amazing Technicolor dream coat, of course. But the third thing that we learn here is that Joseph enjoys attention. He's kind of bratty. He's arrogant. And this is kind of a side note here. But many of the people in scripture, they're not meant to be models that we should be emulating. They're not models of perfection. They're kind of messed up. They have all kind of the emotional characteristics we do in many ways. And if anything, that, I think that gives us hope. But finally, we learn that his brothers hate him. And it's not surprising. The important part here, one reason why they begin to hate him even more, is because he is a dreamer. A dreamer in every sense of the word. His father had nurtured him to be a dreamer. He's kind of like the same. He's the last with this, this vision of becoming first. And so the scripture tells us that he has two dreams that set up the rest of his life, that echo God's dream and what God is doing. And so the first dream in Genesis 37 verses 5 through 8 tells us, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? 
and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So this dream anticipates and foretells what will happen in the rest of the story, but it's not making anybody happy. And then if that's not enough, there's a second dream, verses 9 through 11. Tells us this. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. But he would have learned the first time, right? Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So this dream is essentially born into a triangle of potential dream killers. So let's look at them for Joseph first. Joseph. Dream killer for Joseph is misunderstanding the dream. Right off the bat, we see that Joseph had big dreams, but he misunderstands what they mean. Not only does that misunderstanding threaten the dream, but it provokes other threats to the dream. People are put off by him, especially his brothers. Maybe that's happened to you. He sees nothing more than being better than his brothers. And that leads him, them later to almost try to kill him. But don't we, in a way, make the same mistake? You know, have you ever done something just to prove yourself or one-up somebody else? You worked so hard at it just to show yourself? See, the result of that misunderstanding is pride. Is pride. Joseph was so convinced that he didn't stop to ask God why God might be doing what he was doing. He didn't stop to ask what God's purpose might be. He was so focused on the what. And we, don't we live in such a goal-oriented culture that it's always upon us to figure out what to do, what the expectations are, what jobs next, what we should buy, what positions, what our married life should look like, what kids should be like. But if you ever stop to think why, why? Why have you been gifted with money? Why has God placed you in leadership? Why has God given you certain gifts and talents? Why are you good at arguing? Could that be used for good? I don't know, right? Um, why am I good at analyzing things? Why are you good at numbers? Why am I a people person? Or I'm a good listener? Why are we as Table Life Church here in this specific neighborhood in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania? Why? The dream will always be connected to a why. That prevents the misunderstanding. But for the brothers, there's something else, another dream killer. And that dream killer is being threatened by the dream. See, dreams will always threaten the status quo. Nobody who has ever followed a dream has stayed where they are. And because of that, there's always going to be one voice who's going to strain and to try to keep life as it is. It's threatened by something new, something different. Maybe even there's grief involved of the past or something lost. And the result here is sabotage, sabotage. And sabotage comes with every dream. It actually might be a good indicator that you're on the right path. See, saboteurs are usually doing nothing but unconsciously supporting the status quo. They're sabotaging the change. 
grief comes with change and it's uncomfortable. For the brothers, they're, they're older. They've had things as they've wanted them. The hope that Joseph is giving here for himself in the future is a threat to them. And one who knew this historically was a guy named Johannes. If we look back to the year 1438, we see that in history that there was a time Johannes was working behind the scenes, keeping a secret project, even from his business partners. And at that point, there were very few Bibles in circulation as the number of Christians had, of course, increased. And so people were going to church, and yet the only scripture that they had ever heard was coming from the priests. And Bibles were very expensive. They were kept by churches because of that. But Johannes Gutenberg had a dream. A dream that a hundred years later would lead to a reformation of the church, a revisiting of scripture and the things that had gone awry in the church. His invention and dream of the printing press put the Bible in people's hands to read for themselves. And he said this, It is a press, certainly, but a press from which shall flow in inexhaustible streams. Through it, God will spread his word. A spring of truth shall flow from it. Like a new star, it shall scatter the darkness of ignorance and cause a light herefore unknown to shine amongst men. And it caused a lot of problems. It was a threat to the status quo of the church. See, dreams permit the imagining of new possibilities, which immediately threaten the old and call them into question. See, what might have been okay or workable at one time might not be effective or needed anymore because the world changes. We change. We can't expect to go where God wants and stay where we are. Sometimes we're the brothers. We're the brothers. Maybe we see somebody else as being loved too much and we haven't been loved enough. Maybe somebody else's idea or dream is a threat in some way to us. And so we don't help them. So I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you helped someone else achieve their dream? Do you see others' dreams as threats? The art of embracing a dream means helping override the instincts to self-preservation. It replaces it with a new instinct to be curious and open, open even to the terrifying discomfort of asking, could God be up to something here? Well, last but not least is Jacob, the father, Jacob, the father. And for him, the dream killer is uncertainty. He is the uncertainty of the dream. See, he's afraid to imagine a different future. He's unable to embrace uncertainty, and the result of that is paralysis. Paralysis. He wants to say, stay safe. He doesn't want to rock the boat anywhere, especially in his family. Maybe you've been in a similar situation or case. He's somebody known as a peacemonger. Now, in any type of group or organization, when a dreamer is consistently frustrated and sabotaged rather than encouraged and supported, maybe you've been there, what will turn out to be true 
of whether the, the dream killers are supervisors or subordinates or peers or someone in their family. What's true is that the person in charge at the top of the hierarchy is a peacemonger. A peacemonger is someone who has their own high degree of anxiety that leads them to prefer harmony to health, prefer the known to the unknown, and will appease the disruptors just to quiet them, even if it gets in the way of what God wants to do. And so this is a caution. This is a caution for those who are strong in empathy and harmony departments, whose heart goes out to people, who, who tend to not want to disturb the peace. There are times when that can actually get in the way of God's dream and what God wants to do. And, and so we see in verse 10, we see in verse 10 that Jacob's response is to just scold, to scold the dreamer, Joseph. He identifies with the brothers and their resistance, and he regards that dream as absurd, let alone frustrating. See, uncertainty is enough to paralyze us, to try to stop the dream. Well, just example of this, January 12th, 1915. We're coming upon that anniversary. January 12th, 1915, House of Representatives in the U.S. voted down the women's suffrage. And so there was this woman named Anna Howard Shaw. She was a president of the National Suffrage, Suffrage Association. She said this, she said, I am not gratified. But then she said this, but the vote was better than I expected. She and her team, those who were part of that movement had no idea what would happen ahead. That in just five years, that all of that would change. That the 19th amendment would be born and women's, women's suffrage would become a thing of our history. So much uncertainty, especially being frustrated by an immediate outcome, right? See, sometimes we have to let the dream be at work, even when the outcome is less than clear. We have to be faithful to the dream. I've found that out in my ministry. Sometimes it's not about knowing what's down the road. See, when God gives a dream, he doesn't give us a movie of exactly what the end point and the road there will look like. It may look different than we imagined, but what he does promise is his presence. And that's why, as a church, over the next year, in 2022, we're going to be experimenting as a church. There's going to be some very uncertain things that we are and will encounter. We'll be taking some risks, some things that certain people may feel uncomfortable with. And of course, all of it will be bathed in prayer. But just because we can't see the final outcome or don't know what that outcome will be of that dream doesn't mean that we become paralyzed in the present. See, one day we will be judged by God for not, not for choosing the safest, best action, but whether we did what was right. And in Joseph's story, by the end of this chapter, if we fast forward ahead, we're going to unpack that part of the story next week in detail. Looks like the, the dream is dead. The father believes the dreamer is dead. The brothers believe the, the threat of the dream is removed. But there's more to come. 
God's dream doesn't die. But the question for us today is, who are we? Who are you? Who will you be? Who do you see yourself as? Maybe you're the dreamer being met with sabotage. And once again, that might be good news. You may be on the right path after all. But will you allow someone or something to kill a dream that God has placed in you? But also, will you be a dream killer? Or will you partner together with someone or with us as a church to make a dream possible, even if it may be uncomfortable? Over the next six weeks, we're going to watch the dream emerge in this story, and it's going to emerge in a way that's much different than expected. And I want you to think of the dreams that God has planted in you. And for some of us, they're fresh. Others of us, we may have to do some resurrection of them. But I want you to think of them, no matter what your age is or your background is or where you're from, there is a dream God has for you. And we have to ask ourselves individually, but also collectively, how might God be using that dream and using us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into a story, Lord, that for centuries, for generations, has been read and shared and interpreted in many ways, Lord. A story of dreams. And Lord, that even as we see your work through that story, oh, sometimes in our lives, we don't tend to see you at work until the very end. Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the steps of faithfulness that you've called us to, Lord. Because your dream will come to fruition, just as we have seen, just as we see even through the Old Testament scriptures and the promise of the Messiah who would come. This is you had promised Abraham that you would redeem the world through, through the nations, Lord. The nation that, that you had chosen to redeem the rest of the world, God. That you would come to fulfillment in that. And God, in the same way, you do that with us. Lord, to those of us that are facing a dream killer, help us to keep our chin up. Help us to surround ourselves with the community that will embrace us because we can't do this thing called life alone, Lord. Lord, and help us as a church to focus on the dream that you have for us, Lord. To, to invite others to this open table where we have experienced you and your grace, Lord, and how so many are living in darkness and hopelessness. Lord, that we would be a light to those around us. Help us to know how to be on your mission and not to sacrifice your mission just because we want to remain safe and comfortable, Lord. But Lord, to keep our eyes on you and to take, even if it's a small step, a faithfulness in your direction. God, I thank you for all you have done for us, for the gift that you have provided us on the cross, Lord. The gift of redemption and grace and eternity, God, but also how you have called us to partner with you and to build your kingdom here. And what an amazing thing that is. So help us dream. 
Help us dream on, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.